As many of you know, I am the new owner and editor of Minnesota Women's Press. Our new tagline is Powerful Everyday Women. In the April issue, we wrote about the power of consumers and conscious capitalism. So I was particularly interested in these words spoken in the late 1930s by First Unitarian Society Minister John Dietrich. And note that he was often diplomatic in the way he phrased things, but not always. <clears throat> I want this morning to speak of the role which ordinary people like you and me must play in the struggle for a stronger civilization. There is no doubt that our society contains a tremendous sediment of moronic individuals who can make no contributions to such a venture. But it also contains great masses of average human beings who hold the future in their hands. The corruptive factors are always with us. At the bottom, those who plunder our society, and at the top, in the social world of luxury and ease, where we breed the parasites who feed upon us. If these were all we had, our society would sink below the level of mediocrity. But in between, there are masses of ordinary men and women whose lives constitute the moral health of the community. It is the astonishing development of advertising, the cultivation of the consumer, where the ordinary man can call out for the better things. We create demand wherever we go. Sometimes I think this is the most influential part of our life. So I love the fact that before television and internet and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, the leader of this Sunday community recognized that it is the power of ordinary individuals making demands, not only as voters and citizens, but as consumers, that changes systems. Exactly one year ago today, First Unitarian Society was awarded a grant from the Minnesota Historical Society to create a database of 400 sermons delivered by Dietrich from 1916 to 1938. Since then, I've had the honor of reading most of them to create a digital finding aid. Today's talk barely scratches the surface of what I've found. George Green, here at FUS, has done an amazing job scanning and making available most of Dietrich's talks. They are accessible at firstunitarian.org under the community menu. And I'll link to those that I refer to in this talk, which you'll be able to find at the podcast area of the website. I'm also grateful that we have our own full-blooded humanist minister at FUS. Rev. David is not only reminding us what Dietrich's message about a human-driven world is, but he's adapting it to modern trends. It's part of what he's exploring during his sabbatical this summer. In general, the liberal religious thought leader of today is largely sharing the message we were hearing here at FUS in the early 1900s. So where might the humanist community of today lead us? Dietrich came here from the beautiful mountains of Spokane specifically to build a humanist congregation. Why here? 
in part because in his home state of Pennsylvania years earlier, he heard mention of a small Unitarian congregation in Minneapolis that had hatched most of the liberal and reform legislation of the state. Early in his leadership here, he said, I see already the coming of a day when men shall come to the church not for what they can receive, but for what they can give, not for the company of the saints, but as fighters for justice, righteousness, truth. This is the new church of the new era. Dietrich was the minister here between two world wars. There was tremendous progress happening scientifically, this was the era of Einstein, as well as great turmoil in the world. Amidst the chaos, Dietrich's focus was on lifting up what a human-centered society, not a God-centered one, might accomplish. He came to this congregation in November 1916. I find it ironic that it was exactly 100 years later when we came together here as a community. I remember Rev. Jim was on this stage that day in shock that so many people had elected Donald Trump president rather than Hillary Clinton. What might John Dietrich say about human potential today? Might he waver about a belief in the human mind to resolve its issues without the organizing structure of a god? Is there actually hope that things can get better? Dietrich, though not without flaws of his era, was ahead of his time. He talked about labor rights, the myth of a superior race, classism in America, and the merits of atheism. He visited Germany in the early 1930s and came back to report that he was worried about the impact Hitler was making on German minds. In the 1920s, he suggested that birth control be given to all married couples and that divorce be accepted as an entirely respectable procedure. One of his very first talks here was a few years before women had the right to vote. He said, the trouble with our government is that it is a government of men, by men, and for men, with the result that it is not so much human as masculine. What is our country without the influence of woman stamped upon it? He said this about the concept of euthanasia for the terminally ill. When one considers the handicaps and frustrations that are imposed upon life from the beginning, one wonders why it suddenly becomes invested with such sanctity at the end. We may not wish to die with our boots on, but we may well prefer to die with our brains on. Dying with dignity is still the work of this congregation. Like many things he talked about decades ago, we are still fighting the good fight. And therein lies the focus of my talk today. How optimistic can we be that our good fights make a difference? This past week's many tragic news stories, again, shows us how humans minimize the sanctity of life. How can we change that narrative? As we hear in his talks, Dietrich had his finger on the pulse. 
he could see what needed to happen differently. For one, he was not a fan of capitalism, saying in 1922, what real incentive can there be under the principle of private control when the worker has no share in the profits and no voice in the shaping of conditions under which he works? He also said that year, we condemn the man who steals a loaf of bread while we pay honor to the man who steals a million dollars. Given the conversations we've had here lately about restorative justice and the Minnesota sex offender program that never releases its prisoners, I found Dietrich's thoughts on crime very interesting. In 1926, he talked about how research showed that the conventional approach to punishment as an attempt to prevent crime was not successful. That if the goal was vengeance, prison as punishment made sense. If the goal was to reduce crime, it did not. Dietrich pointed out how much public opposition there was to using taxpayer money for reform rather than for punishment. Opposition from people who had never read a book on criminology, people who never had direct dealing with prisoners. He said people tend to believe in irrational methods of protection when they are afraid. He said, anthropology, biology, psychology, sociology are furnishing us with volumes of information about the springs of human conduct. I believe an offender should be detained as long as he is a menace to the public safety, but he should be detained for only one reason, to restore him to physical, mental, and moral health. Those of you who have heard my talks in the past few years know that I have a particular fascination with quantum physics, brain science, and laying down new narratives in storytelling. I believe science and religion are exploring the same things in different languages. God, spirit guides, intuition. To my mind, they're largely the same thing. If you are inclined to believe, as I do, that the universe is one giant collective pool of energy and that all living things are part of an interconnected ecosystem, it's interesting to see how Dietrich approached this in his talks. In Has Science Discovered God, he talked about how some scientists believe in ultimate energy or life force to which they apply the term God. Dietrich's summary of the work of biologist Julian Huxley was this. Religion is a potent driving force for emotions and values. Science is neutral. Since God is a product of the human mind, new outlets could be created to serve a far deeper and more important function than paying obedience to a supreme being. He wanted us to merge the wisdom of science with the human need for the significance of religion. Dietrich quotes Huxley, with science and religion working hand in hand, men and women can come to achieve a conviction of the value of existence, a feeling that their relation with the world at large is no longer confused and meaningless, but right 
and significant, and any religion worthy of the name will help them toward this end. And this, I believe, is where Dietrich, despite his own frustration with the human propensity to limit its potential, might lead us with a humanist message for today. How to reform our society, not simply allow us to keep punishing ourselves. In the comprehensive view, he quoted John Dewey as saying, we are not only individuals, we are parts of a humanity that extends into the remote past and will continue into a remote future. More than anything else, the world needs this spirit today. No legislation, no economic system, no changed industrial order will create this needed unity. The transfer of power from self-seeking few to a self-seeking many will not help much unless this new spirit infuses and inspires men with a new consciousness of the spiritual unity that underlies all our social life. I read this week about how the new Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, is trying to convince others in the European nation to basically believe in the sanctity of life. Sanchez is trying to change the narrative about immigrants and refugees. He says the migration of human beings is a common concern that needs all of humanity to work together without borders. I was especially impressed that Sanchez said his policies came about because of a majority female cabinet. And that cabinet, he said, came about after the feminist strike in Spain on March 8th when society came out against gender-based violence and in favor of pay and work equality for women. Mexico elects its new president today, who also is not likely to put up with arrogant, racist, and inhuman policies. Dietrich very much saw in his time the battle we have today and he described it in ways we don't always acknowledge. In one of his last talks here, he warned that when progressive individuals create a new vision, they tend to leave behind the majority. Listen to this. If this continues, we shall find our future society ruled by ignorance and crudeness, intolerance, and incompetence, which will mean the ultimate defeat for every struggle for liberty and enlightenment. For if the demagogue and the bigot, the narrow-vision politician, can gain control through appeals to the mediocre masses, our cultural doom is sealed. In another talk, he said that the conservative and the progressive will always clash partly because the conservative imagination cannot picture anything better than the present social order, whereas the child of the ideal builds up the world in his mind until it becomes something he can seek to execute in actual life. So what are the children of the ideal to do 
clashing inevitably with the limits of the conservative imagination. Dietrich understood the habits of human nature from his reading of William James and others. In the 1920s, he already used the term brain plasticity. He didn't have the term implicit bias yet, but Dietrich did know that metaphorically, if someone creates a groove in their mind and in the cultural narrative, soon all people follow this beaten down path without giving it a single thought. So the trick, he told us in the 1930s, is to create the new narrative so that the old path disappears. And that is the work of our community. That is my work at Minnesota Women's Press. Create new narrative grooves, new storylines for people to absorb. What if the world went humanist, Dietrich asked in the talk of the same title that I believe is still available in the basement in our bookstore and is online at firstunitarian.org. The quote in today's order of service describes part of, uh, part of his answer. If the world went humanist, there would be recognition of the essential unity of mankind. We would realize that there flows through the whole human race from the lowest to the highest one life and one blood. Eventually, Dietrich took this concept a step further. Shortly before his death in 1957 in Berkeley, he was working on a manuscript called Thoughts on God. Nick Rouse and I talked about it in a group discussion here last year. One of the last things he seems to have written said this. It is high time to realize that the man-society relationship is not enough, but in order to save our civilization, we need to restore the man-universe relationship. The man-universe relationship. What is that? What is the story we could be telling as powerful everyday people that shifts our narrative away from borders and separated individuals and the division between scientific and religious points of view? Can we minimize the human tendency to think we are supreme by continually pointing out instead how the forces of energy and nature remind us that we are not? Is the new humanist era about telling less human-centric stories? A few months ago, hundreds of people, many from this congregation, as well as another group that I'm involved with, were at a talk a few blocks away at Blake by indigenous scientist Robin Kimmerer. She talked about how the consciousness of the universe is about the sanctity of all life not simply that which looks and talks like us. In an Easter time address in the 1920s, Dietrich gave a talk called On Life's Renewal. He said, we often speak as if there were two worlds, a natural world and a human world, but humanity is only a wrinkle or a smile upon the rugged face of Mother Nature. 
Of all the quaint and curious isms men in their ingenuity have thought out, I know of none so satisfying in certain moods as pantheism, the thinking that says that God and nature are one, that we are children of the living universe, that we are a chapter in nature's endless book. And this is the story that I personally want to read and tell. Dietrich believed in the potential of our collective and individual humanist minds to create new stories. As ordinary consumers who create demand for messages that tell the story of the sanctity of all life. As progressive thinkers who bridge the wisdom of science with the insights of communal spirit. As storytellers who listen to a wider consciousness and distill it for the majority that don't yet hear it. Said Dietrich, it does not frighten me to know that the universe has made me a part of its teeming abundant life, that the same power that is breaking the lilacs into leaf is breaking me into a fuller flower of personality. I am content to be a brother to the flowers, the trees, and all the strange and beautiful world in which I dwell. It does not sadden me to realize that for a little while, the cosmic urge voices itself in this strange community of busy particles which I call myself. In me, in you, the universe has spoken.